Welcome to episode number 100 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. In this episode, we're going to take a look back at a selection of moments from the first 99 episodes of the show. But before we get started, I'd like to extend a personal thank you to my guests for their time and their talents, especially Dan Strafford, who has appeared in a number of episodes as my co-host. Most importantly, I'd like to thank each of you for tuning in. Your time is valuable, and I'm grateful that you've chosen to spend about 30 minutes each week meeting someone new with the intention of learning and growing. We're all on a journey of personal and professional continuous improvement, and I hope this show has added value to yours. In this first clip, I'm talking to Manoj Agarwal, founder and chief innovation officer at Tetra Noodle Technologies in episode 27 about why technology should have a seat at the table in the organizational C-suite. Uh, a point of contention that I've that I've had with uh, with previous leaders that I've dealt with, some leaders want to put technology under the chief financial officer or under the chief operating officer and kind of tuck it away like it's this machine that we tap into. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I'm, I'm really interested in, in your perspective on in the organizational hierarchy, where should the head of technology sit? Great question. Um, you know, the thing is that we are living in uh, a technological age where every company is a technology company. Even if you're running a corner store, you have to have internet connection, you have to have secure systems, you have to have like, you know, these basic things, right? Now, if you know your business depends on technology, there is no question that it has to be, uh, you know, a, 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 the full-fledged citizen of the executive team. It, it, I may be biased because I'm coming from technology, but when I look at the business side of things, all I know is Let's say if you are, uh, you know, a horse cart uh, a driver and horse is your main way of making a living. If you do not care of care for that horse, if you do not try to understand that horse, if you just treat that horse as a machine, it's not going to last very long. And I have seen this happen so many times in companies where, you know, they do not in want to invest in technology. They, even when the technology people are saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm seeing some cracks here. You know, um, if we don't fill these gaps in two years, our technology is going to collapse. Because if you keep growing this business and, you know, we don't overhaul it, we don't take care of it, things are going to collapse. And multiple times, people who do not understand technology, they fail to, you know, um, uh, they fail to sort of invest in it, right? So this lack of understanding, this sort of, uh, this tendency to treat technology as a black box ultimately backfires. So I definitely think technology should be at the at the table and and must be heard just like any other department. Um, that that you know we we need to take care of this because our business depends on. It. Yeah. Well, uh, virtual fist bump. Uh, I didn't want to lead the witness. Uh, but I, I, too, strongly believe that technology has to have a, a seat at the table. 
In clip number two, Brandon Bustide, Chief Partnership Officer and Global Head of Learn Work Innovation at Kaplan, joined me back in episode 33 to discuss the reskilling revolution and the most important skills that all workforce participants should be honing. You know, what are the most important future skills that our listeners should be thinking about acquiring right now? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna just focus on one because you 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 could you know we could make this list more or less exhaustive, but I'm gonna just I'm gonna put it in the bucket of communication, whether that is interpersonal communication, whether that is written communication, whether that is social media uh, prowess in terms of how you might utilize various tools from Twitter to LinkedIn, um, how you communicate with teammates, right? And that is the the in person format of that. That is. Uh, the virtual format of that, that is the chat IM, you know, side conversation during a meeting format. What's interesting is you look at some of the people who are the most successful engineers, right, in the STEM field, right? They've been trained in technical areas. They're very technically skilled. But you and I talk about this all the time, right? It's, it's kind of what you would call the behavioral and the technical that start to bring it to life, right? So, so I want somebody who's specifically skilled, but I also want to see that they are a strong communicator, right? To, to, to promote and defend their own ideas, right? To communicate to customers or clients, even if you're in non-client facing roles, I think communication is absolutely just one of the most powerful tools that we have as human beings. And so there's a lot of forms of that. There's the written form, there's the oral form, there's even body language, right? And what kind of signals I'm sending uh, as I'm in a meeting and, and all those things matter. So I think if we, if we were all very astute to our communication powers, for some, it's going to come easier than others. Like I was always, I was always nervous speaking in front of a crowd, but I always loved the opportunity, right? We know there are people who are just petrified of speaking <laughs> in front of a crowd. And then for me though, you know, I had like back to my professor, he saw promise in my ideas, but I wasn't communicating them as clearly, or there were so many you know, spelling or grammatical errors that it was distracting people from my ideas, right? So that was something that I had to work on. I had to have some mentorship and support. And what's ironic about that, Andy, is that didn't happen to my junior year of college. How did I make it that far before somebody was like, dude, you need to work on your grammar, <laughs> right? Um, and so I'm glad it happened later, you know, than, than, you know, than not at all. But I, so, so I would just say communication is going to be one of those fundamental things. Yeah, no, I, 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 I can't agree uh, anymore. It's, it's just, it is so fundamental to our future existence. We can no longer simply rely upon our technical prowess to carry us uh, through our, 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 our jobs. And we've got to be highly effective at communication. So thank you. Thank you for that. Clip number three features Simone Petrella in episode number 46. Simone is president of N2K Networks and is the CEO of CyberVista. In this segment, Simone helps us think through the importance of critical thinking in the role of the chief executive. So in your day-to-day as the as a chief executive of a, of a very important uh, business, what does critical thinking look like in action for you as a senior executive? Yeah, I think it's a combination of understanding how to collect all the disparate information that I'm getting from the stakeholders internal to my company that want to achieve certain objectives. How do I distill those into things that can actually be prioritized? 
and also managing the expectations of our investors and the things that are you know important to them from a business perspective. And ultimately, that has to shake out into a set of priorities. And as I'm, I know you are aware of in your time at Kaplan, um, there's not unlimited resources to do everything we want to do when we think about that overarching vision. Um, and so critical thinking is pretty much I would say like the number one thing that is just a constant requirement because you're kind of balancing the amount of times it's like, it'd be great if we did, you know, initiative A, wouldn't that be that, wouldn't that be cool? And I say, I would say, yes, they would to everything, but we can't do everything. Um, and so being able to, to kind of take all that information and kind of make a, a determination on okay, well, what's going to get us not only the best bang for our buck, but give us the best return or put us in the best position to position us for where we want to move um, as we think about executing on our vision. Those are all things that are pretty much part and parcel of kind of my everyday role as an executive. Well, th thank you for punching that point because, you know, I, I, I talk to young folks uh, all, all the time that want to I shouldn't say young folks that that makes me sound like I'm old, which <laughs> I, I suppose I am in relative terms to some people. But I feel uh, 21 today. So let's just go with that. There you go. Stick yeah. with that. Yeah, we'll stick with that. But uh, I, I appreciate you uh, really hitting that hard, because if you aspire uh, wherever you are in your career, to move up the ladder, to one day be the chief executive or in the C-suite. I agree with you. Critical thinking is either number one or very, very close uh, to, to the top of the list. So, so thank you for that. In clip number four, I'd like to reintroduce you to Jennifer Livingston, Director of Community Engagement for Mayo Clinic Health System and former news anchor at WKBT News 8. Back in episode 54, I asked her for her take on the art of asking good questions. From my perspective, good questions uh, are an important part of the formula for effective communication. We've alluded to this previously, but as I'm crafting a communications piece, I ask myself about the potential questions that people are going to ask so I can try my best to anticipate them. What's your advice for leaders and managers who want to improve their level of skill in the art of the question, because you're a journalist, you've been asking questions your whole life. Well, I can give you that from my from from a journalist side, but I can also give you that from as someone in leadership or who will be getting asked the questions, which is know the one or two things that you really want to get across and you want to say and anticipate maybe not being asked the question that would allow you to get that information out. Because People may come at you with their own agenda of what kind of story or what kind of information they want to get from you. And if there's something that you want to say and they don't ask the question, the best thing that you can do at the end is say, you know, and I just would like to add and then get those one or two points across because then you know if you, if you weren't able or you weren't allowed the opportunity earlier to express something really important, some information that's really important that you want to get out you're giving yourself the chance to do that at the end by saying, you know, one more thing I'd like to add, or you didn't, you didn't ask this. And I want to make sure, you know, I can't tell you how many times as a journalist that I say at the end, is there anything you'd like to add? And the best 
response I get, the best line that I get of the whole interview, and it could have been a 30 minute interview, a 45 minute interview is the last thing that they say. They think about it and they go, you know, you didn't ask this. And I just, I'd like to add, and then it's the most personalized or it's the most heartwarming or it's where, you know, the, the connection happens. So I think if you're the person being interviewed, know the one or two things you want to make sure you get across and plan for them not to be asked. How are you going to get them in there? And if you're the person asking the questions, make sure you allow for that at the end. What didn't I ask that you'd like to make sure I know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we just all need to get uh, much better at uh, formulating uh, great questions and in the flow of, of a conversation, uh, being able to remember what what, what was the most important thing that I needed to get out of this and then make sure that you also understand it's a two-way street that the, that the other parties got things that, uh, that you know, that they needed to say. We, we talked earlier about how difficult communication is. And uh, one of the things that, uh, that, that, that I always like to remind people of is, just remember that whoever you're talking to and whoever you're having a conversation with is having a separate conversation with themselves inside their head. So, so you're, you're what is dealing my next with, question gonna even, be? What is my- <laughs> yeah, even if you're dealing with a one-on-one conversation, it is a multi-party conversation. Back in episode 58, I chatted with Denise Probert about the link between communication and storytelling to improve financial acumen. Denise is a teaching assistant professor at University of Colorado at Boulder and a popular LinkedIn learning instructor. Let's listen in. And uh, I want to ask you, uh, how does improved financial acumen help non-financial leaders and managers improve their communication and storytelling skills? Are the two of these things linked? I think it's interesting that you asked that question because when I taught my first LinkedIn learning course, Reading Corporate Financial Statements, I took the approach of these financial statements tell the story of what we do every single day. So on a day-to-day basis, we make all these business decisions. And then at the end of the quarter or at the end of the year, we publish all those decisions in financial statements. So I think that financial acumen and storytelling go hand in hand. Uh, You know, Crayola decided they weren't going to create a a color anymore because it just wasn't appealing to the kids. It's called the raw umber, right? So nobody wants to fill in a coloring book with the color raw umber. And so they made the decision to stop that crayon color. And uh, that having it in the box didn't increase sales. People didn't go buy a box of crayons because raw umber suddenly was in in the box anymore. That is a business decision, but it had great financial impact. And so all of the the decisions that are made in an organization, whether it's a crayon color or whether it's your your decision to try a special marketing initiative, all of those business decisions impact the financial reporting. When we have a special... Uh, promotion. We oftentimes have a code with it. How many times have we had to enter a code when we want to buy something and get a special discount? And those decisions are going to um, 
impact our financial statements. And so it's important from a financial acumen perspective to be able to to know how the decisions we make are going to show up. I I love the, I mean, who doesn't want raw umber umber in their box of (laughs) 128 crayons with the sharpener in it. That's what, that's what, that's what I was after. I was deeply disappointed in my parents uh, when, you know, the, the years that they did not buy the, the, the 128, uh, you remember that box yeah, that the flipped big box. up and it had the, the big box and it had an eraser in it and you'd walk into the classroom and all the other kids went, Ooh, but the raw umber, uh, you know, was was raw umber in there, and did it make an impact on whether that one twenty eight pack sold, and did it have cost implications? You know, Absolutely. The, the, the whole point of this story is not the the hubris around having a one hundred and twenty eight pack, but the decisions that are being made by the product folks uh, on the back end, and being able to tell that story. I, I think that's that's uh, really cool. Imagine the manufacturing facility where they have all of these little vats of crayon colors and somebody actually had to do a special, uh, you know, formula for raw umber. And so you had all of the costs of the creation of that crayon that wasn't adding value. So because it wasn't adding value, it wasn't increasing sales. It's not increasing sales. Now all of a sudden we have a financial acumen story. So there. There's a story behind every financial decision we make, behind every business decision we make. And uh, so I think that the tie between storytelling and business decisions and financial acumen, it's all, it's one and the same. Back in episode number 64, we featured Torrance Ford, Vice President of Talent Management at Shaw Industries. This is his response to a thought experiment on the importance of improving business acumen and change management skills in individuals and teams across an organization. Um, Torrance, we're going to run another really quick thought experiment. Uh, Suppose you've got an individual contributor or a line or middle manager sitting right in front of you right now, uh, who's traditionally had the blinders on and is questioning why they should invest the energy to learn more about how the entire business functions. How do you coach them to make that investment of themselves? I would use myself as an example and my company as an example of, uh, as you introduced Shaw, uh, Shaw is a, a flooring company. If you go back a little ways in history, Shaw would have been introduced as a carpet company. Uh, if you go even further back, we might have been introduced as a low-cost manufacturer of carpet. And you look over my history at Shaw, uh, Shaw has transformed from being that uh low-cost residential manufacturing uh, producer of carpet to being a a global flooring solutions provider that's hard surfaces and soft surfaces and sundries and uh, and all kind of services and uh, ability to to loan money uh, to businesses for flooring. Uh, So the organization is continuing to change. And much like I, I spoke of a second ago, if if you're not careful and you're inside of an organization and you're uh, denying yourself or preventing others from the opportunity to, to learn, uh, it's really the, the world's going to change so fast 
that it would be impossible for you to 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 stay pace with it. Um, I, I'll use an example here. Um, something I'm doing in in December is for the third year I'll be running in uh, St. Jude in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, where they're raising money to cure childhood cancer. And uh, I don't like running, but I love the purpose. <laughs> and uh, and when I'm training for this, I often think of you know, what if, what if I just showed up in Memphis in December to run a 10K? You, you just can't do it. I can't do it. Maybe some people can. Uh, you have to train yourself, develop your body, build a discipline, build a muscle so that you can sustain what you know you're going to face in the future. And when I see leaders who are not willing to invest in others in a way to develop them over time, I know we'll find ourselves in a situation one day where somebody just won't be able to cope with all the change that's going to hit them uh, because there are products and there are businesses that were part of Shaw, the facility that I got hired into, it, it's closed. We don't make those type of products anymore that we made uh, in that facility. So the world will change and uh, learning and investing in others' learning is a huge part of just what you have to do to, to compete in the world today. Back in episode 66, we featured Brandon Carson, Starbucks Global Head of Learning and Development and Partner Experience and former Vice President of Global Leadership Academy at Walmart. In this clip, Brandon highlights the skills that are necessary to build business acumen, the capacity for complexity, curiosity, and courage. You know, we, we talk a lot about alternative pathways in, into the workplace, uh, skills-based hiring, the reskilling revolution, as I mentioned before, uh, and you're at the tip of the spear for that. If you had to pick two, what I call sub-skills that are absolutely essential to improving business acumen in the average employee, what would those skills be? Andy, bring up the hard questions. So... It, it's, it's expand, I would say the ability to expand your capacity for complexity it, because, and I'll, you know, I usually go off on tangents here. Let me go on this one. I'll bring it back around. I was sure. in a talent review with our chief operating officer several months ago, and we were just doing introductions and he hadn't met me before I hadn't met him. And I was explaining what I do. And the brilliant man he is, he looks at me and he's like, okay, well, what are you doing to prepare us for the 2030 Walmart? And of course, with a senior executive, you always want to have an answer, <laughs> but that kind of yeah. stumped me. And it stuck with me too, because I'm like, I, I, I'm creating leadership development, but it was a really good question because what are we doing to develop? It's not about today. It's about, we need the leaders that are going to take us into the future of business that we can't necessarily, I hear this all the time, well, how do you future-proof? You don't future-proof. There's no way you can do that. You have to just be future-ready. And we don't know what retail is going to be like in eight years. You know, we don't know what custom, we didn't know two years ago that our customers would be okay with us coming into their house and putting their groceries into their refrigerator. And that's now a service we offer, right? We come in here, we take the item you want to return from your counter and we go return it for you, right? So, so when he said that, I thought, okay, we've got to develop leaders in a way to be able to expand their capacity 
for the complexity that they have to navigate. And so I would say the ability to be that systems thinker, to look up and around and understand more about just what you do, but how the business itself operates that, you know, and how, how you can move through complexity, moving your team, developing your team for that, moving the business forward. And what that takes are these sort of sub skills, if you will, of curiosity and courage. And, you know, Eric Schmidt once said he only hires for two things and that's persistence and courage. Right. And that's really what we need. So I would say business acumen starts there. We've got to have curiosity. We've got to have courage because once you get a POV or point of view on something, then you have to be able to try to drive it forward. And one thing that we have here is a lot of complexity when you think about, uh, you know, the scale at which we operate and trying to meet the customer's promise every day with what they want. Right. And I mean, we get 11 million job applications every day, Andy. So we have a scale that is quite astronomical. And But if we break one customer promise, it's an issue. So for our leaders to be able to navigate that complexity, we must have systems thinkers, you know, people who can, with courage and persistence and curiosity, you know, drive us forward. Back in episode 79, I talked to Maggie McGuire, founder and CEO of Pinna, an on-demand streaming service that delivers original storytelling content to kids ages 3 through 12. In this clip, Maggie talks about the rocket booster moment of her career and the importance of experiential learning. If you had to pick one event in your life that just put rocket boosters uh, under your career, what would that be? Interestingly enough, I made a decision to leave the classroom when I was probably in my late 20s, or right, yeah, right, right at my late 20s, and start over. I mean, so I was um, progressing and been in education for a number of years. I'd been in the classroom, IB, Teach for America, could have really like moved on in the career, in in an educational career path, but decided to marry my love of education with the power, and now we really do feel that power in our current culture of media and its impact on children, and thought I could make a meaningful contribution to reaching exponentially more kids than I potentially do in my classroom through the power of media. And what what I believe is what Power Boost did where I am today is my willingness in my late 20s to run coffees and become somebody's desk assistant in the media space in order to get in the door. And a lot of people would say, oh, wow, didn't that just put you back a number of years? And you could look at it that way, but I had moxie and determination and perseverance and a willingness to roll up my sleeves and and do what was necessary for the role that I accepted running somebody's coffees as a media executive and propelled myself forward, making great connections and doing the work to get, you know, further and further along in the media um, space. And so I think it was a willingness to um, not be so concerned with the title and titles, but to look at my path and understand what vision I had for where I wanted to go and realize what I needed to do to get there. 
Yeah, it sounds like you used that uh, as as an experiential educational opportunity and, you know, look, looking at it, not as a step back, but as an experiential learning opportunity is a, a frame that I think more people uh, need to uh, adopt as they, you know, shift and change in their career. Careers are not uh, linear one-way paths anymore. And I think you're really demonstrating that and. Again, if we look at them as experiential learning opportunities instead of the derogatory step back, uh, I think we'd we'd certainly be better off. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think I'm ready to talk a little bit about the the differences between fixed thinking and flexible thinking. And I, I really do think that that approach to life was a fuel starter for me. And um, being really flexible in how we get somewhere and things are not linear and capitalizing on the skills you have and applying them into new endeavors is, is all part of the secret sauce, I think. Our final clip in our first 100 recap comes from Stefan Kohler, founder and CEO of Audira Labs. Back in episode number 84, I asked Stefan to provide advice to our listeners on how to engage in challenging conversations. Let's hear what he has to say. Uh, Stephen, let's run a quick thought experiment. Suppose that you have an early career manager sitting right in front of you right now who struggles to have effective, challenging conversations with their colleagues. What advice do you have for them? I would remind them, and and in some ways, Andrew, speaking to myself at a younger age, I would remind them of the power that we as leaders, particularly when we have the opportunity to provide feedback, can have on others. Uh, and I say that because some of the, the best development I've had over my career came precisely because a caring leader stopped, slowed down, and took the opportunity to provide me with that feedback that I was um, could benefit from. And, and many of the times it was reminding me perhaps of something I had done well. I think as leaders, one of the things we often forget uh, is the power of reminding somebody when they did well um, that can have the greatest confidence boost on us. Um, so I would, I would, uh, offer them the, the reminder that it's really important, whether we're delivering feedback to somebody else or receiving it, um, to really take that time to make it balanced, um, and, and not, not avoid the hard truths as they need to be said. Um, I think it's, as the old adage says, feedback can be a gift and, and can definitely be that thing that can, uh, make a huge difference in our leadership journey, even if it might be hard to hear at the time. Yeah, I, I love that you said, uh, you know, slow down. Uh, so many of us, especially in a challenging conversation, uh, we've got this narrative running in our minds and, uh, and we get nervous. And so we speed up and we over talk and we talk over the, the, the recipient. And then, you know, nothing, uh, nothing really comes of it because we're talking past, uh, one, one another. So slowing down and, I'm sure uh, you're recommending opening the ears uh, along with the mind. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's wonderful advice. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in to our 100th episode celebration. Again, thanks go out to all our guests for their time and insights. Thanks to you for tuning in. 
I'm Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act Podcast. You can find us on all the major podcast streaming platforms. Please like, subscribe, rate, and share with your friends and colleagues. Have a great day.